Last character. Last week was Jesus. This week is Apostle Paul. We'll talk about him against all odds. 2 Corinthians, you'll be in your Bible, chapter 4. 2 Corinthians, chapter 4. We'll pray and we'll dive right in. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful to be in your word, to learn your word, to study it, to hear it, and to apply it above all to our lives. We pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. We'll begin there. We'll read down through verse 12. Then we'll skip down and read verses 16 through 18. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. Are you there? We'll have another major uh, portion that we'll look at later in Corinthians. Anything else I'll have up on the screen for you, okay? The Bible says in verse 7, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. For we are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. We're cast down but not destroyed, always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest or visible in our mortal flesh. So then death works in us, but life in you. Skip down to verse 16 with me. For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, works for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. We're going to talk about against all odds. And today we're going to talk about the Apostle Paul. He's the writer and liver out of, if you will, these words. And I want you to notice these amazing paradoxes by way of our life in Christ that we see in this text. First, God's unlimited and infinite power versus our limited and finite power in verse 7. You know, earthenware cracks and breaks, doesn't it? Amen. And it disintegrates over time. But God never wears out. Aren't you glad about that? We see another paradox, and that is the problems of this life versus the victory we have through Christ in verses 8 through 9. See, when we don't know what to do when life wears us down, we simply do what we know to do. When you don't know what to do, do what you know to do. As such, trouble, perplexity, he talks about, persecution and harm, all of these things give way to God's grace and mercy and peace. And then we see in verses 10 through 12, our sacrifice versus the church's success. Our sacrifice versus the church's success. Paul would say elsewhere, look up here on the screen, he says in this verse, 2 Corinthians 12, 14 through 15, behold, the third time I'm ready to come to you, and I will not be burdensome to you, for I seek not yours, but you. For the children ought not to lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children. And I will very gladly spend and be spent for you, though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. I find that a very interesting passage. You know, as church planters, as the Apostle Paul was a church planter, we're church planters. We're taught to be pioneers. 
and to give of ourselves, sacrificing for the spiritual benefit of others. That's what we do. And we're happy to do it. You know, we, as those who are the pioneers, as the parents, if you will, giving birth to a ministry, the burden of proof initially is on us. The um, energy to get a ministry off the ground is on the church planner. Uh, we, we, I know some who've been here longer than me, and we pastors, we, I wouldn't say cry on each other's shoulders, because we're not crying really, we're just talking, we're talking pastoral stuff. But I got a preacher here, he got a building, they got people. <laughs> he said, brother, I still gotta, I gotta still change the slides in my church. <laughs> That's a shame. When you're in a church with people, you've been here longer than we have, and, you know, you can't find people in it. You know, so a lot of people are just comfortable. They just come to church. They want to be comfortable. They don't want to do anything. So he got to lead a pulpit. He got to go over in the sound room when the singers are up on the stage, and he got to do the slides that you see me do up here. He got to do that. Uh, you know, I'm happy to do it, but I, I'd prefer someone else to lead songs who's gifted. They got to be gifted in that regard. If they're not gifted in that regard, I'm going to hold on to it. Amen? Huh? and so on and so forth. So they got to be able to carry a tune, you know, know a little bit about music, you know, uh, and so forth. I took a class actually called song leading in Bible college in my first four years of school. It was a very practical school, a Bible institute type setting, and one of the classes was, was leading songs. So you see the four beat, you know, and you do the bump, and the bump, and the bump, and the bump, you know, and up, and up, and up, and up. You know, and so, you know, and then you start learning the three, four, and the four, four, and the two, four. And so when you don't know what to do, you just move in a V pattern. You know, that's usually what I do when I don't know, quite know how to song, because I don't have a music up here. I just had a words. Kathy's playing the music. We don't really lead from a songbook. I just lead by watching words and, and from, you know, 20, 30 years of ministry, knowing these songs, you just know them in your mind. But you don't know, I'm not a musician, so I don't know what part they are. So usually I just do the V pattern, you know, and so that's what we do. Amen. So for, for whatever that's worth. So I say that to say this, we have to be pioneers. We have to do whatever we need to do um, in our church. We cut grass if we had grass. Uh, we shovel snow if we have snow. We do what we do for the glory of God or people can't get into the church building. Can somebody say amen? Uh, we set up everything here in the YMCA just because it's easier for us to do it. Uh, but eventually I'd love to have someone take that on as a ministry. It's about a half hour project on the front end and about another 20 minutes, half hour project on the back end. Not a lot of stuff. Everything's on wheels. It's not a big deal. So nothing is a big deal. But I'd just rather be able to meet and greet people as they come in and as they leave. Um, and so, you know, but, but it is what it is, and, and as different people, uh, you know, join and, and have those giftednesses, and they're here, you know, some things are time sensitive. You can't be late and do the setup. We start church at 10, and then you get here at 10.05, sorry, I'm already be set up, okay? So I got to let folk know like that, no, you need to be here about 9.30. Okay, so, so again, it depends. Um, you know, not only is some things um, gift-oriented, but they're also time-sensitive. And, and so, so, again, that's what we do. We, we, we ask the Lord to move in the lives and hearts of people for different areas of ministry that, one, they're gifted at and one that they enjoy. You don't want to do something you don't want to do. So Paul is saying, uh, I don't seek yours, I seek you. So that's why I do what I do. I preach like I preach. I travel like I travel. I go here and go there. Wait till we get into this next passage in Corinthians that we're going to get into. Okay? But I want you to understand that uh, serving the Lord has some trials and ups and downs that's associated with it. And we do those things gladly for the glory of God, remembering who we do them for. 
But I want you to see also the outward dying, another paradox, the outward dying versus the inward renewal in verse 16 in our opening text that we just read, okay? Moses was blessed with long life and vitality. We should ask God for such grace to serve him as long as we can, amen? And different other ones in the Bible were blessed with long life. And so um, notice the Bible says here, and Moses is what I was alluding to about Moses. The passage here says, uh, look on the bottom of the screen, Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eye was not dim, nor his natural face abated. Do you see that? And so, you know, when we um, serve the Lord, we need to ask him then to give us that grace, that dignity to live. You know, light and temporary earthly afflictions, I want you to see yet another paradox in verse 17 of our text. Light, temporary, earthly affliction versus heavenly, eternal glory in verse 17. Whether good or bad, Measured in light of eternity, this is what I want you to see in verse 17, everything else pales in comparison, okay? Everything else pales in comparison. And then yet another paradox, there's this temporary visible circumstances that we have here versus the eternal invisible advantages and blessings in verse 18. You know, think about this with me. Athletes compete for a visible trophy, don't they? Students study for a visible, tangible diploma. The rulers of our world conquer lands for the visible prosperity that it gives them among nations. We, however, serve God and others, often unnoticed, by the way, and unappreciated, all for an invisible crown. You know, the Bible says in Hebrews that those pioneers of the faith prior to us, Hebrews 11.26 says, they esteemed the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect to the recompense of the reward. So when you look at heavenly business more important than earthly business, then you will be blessed among the faithful like this and honored among the faithful. Hebrews 12 in verse 2 says that we should be looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, speaking about Christ, he endured the cross. Did it say he enjoyed the cross? No, it said he endured the cross, just like we endure trials. In his humanness, he had to endure that. He despised the shame, and he is now set down at the right hand of the throne of God. So the first part of verse 2 had to happen before the last part of verse 2 there in Hebrews 12, 2. And then John 6, 27 says, Labor not for the meat that perishes, but for the meat that endures unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath God the Father sealed. You know, as a result of these amazing paradoxes that we've just seen, Paul reminds us of two things that we need never do. And let me just talk about those for a minute real quick. Number one, number one, faint not, never quit. Amen? Never quit. And, and so, you know, he says in verse 16, this would be a great bumper sticker logo, I think. Rest, yes. Quit, no. I thought about that. That would be good. Amen? Rest, yes. Quit, no. But if you get tired, this little... Uh, picture up here talks about learn to rest but not to quit. Amen? But just another thought, you know, is this. 
look not. He says, faint not in verse 16. Two perspectives here, paradoxes. As a result of these paradoxes, this is what we come away with. Faint not and look not. In verse 17, he says, look not. Don't be overly concerned about. Don't concentrate on things down here. We need to be laser focused about what we need to do for Jesus before he comes. While everything else needs to be put on the back burner. Bruce Lee would say the successful warrior is the average man with laser-like focus. So far, we have looked at the value of having a proper attitude toward trials. But I want us to shift our focus now toward embracing our own trials. Here's that other passage we're going to turn to in chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 22. You know, we all going through something. Can we just go ahead and be real? The key is making sure that it's worth it in the end, right? We all going through something. Are we suffering for bad decisions that we've made or for the best decision that we could ever make of full surrender to Jesus Christ? In our second main text today, Paul writes this, chapter 11, 2 Corinthians, verse 22. Are they Hebrews? Hey, let, me, let me just pause for a minute. 2 Corinthians is a trip. It's his edgiest book. It's one of those writings where you like almost on Facebook telling all your people that, that, that was your haters, look, 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 this is, this is, this, this is what I need to say to y'all. It's, it's him being really edgy over and over again. He's sarcastic. He, it's weird. It's really weird. Second Corinthians is a weird book along that line. I think these, they got under his last nerve. They got on his last nerve in Corinth. That's why he wrote two books to them. Okay, so here we pick it up. Look, look, are they, and he was fussing before this. So if you read back in the book, he was fussing. And he was talking about rah, 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 this and rah, 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 that and I know, other people this and well, I'm more. He, he's, you know how you do when you finally need to get in somebody's face about something. So that's where we pick it up. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they the ministers of Christ? Now he's just, he just getting all into it. He said, I speak as a fool. I'm more in labors more abundant, in stripes more above measure, in prison stripes now like you get stripes on your back from a whip. That's what he's talking about. In prisons more frequent, in deaths. He almost died a couple of times, oft. Of the Jews, five times received I 39 stripes. He says, 40 stripes, save one. Can you imagine being whipped like that, like Jesus was? For, he says, five times. From the Jews, church people. Now you know why he was so upset with some church folks? Thrice was I beaten with rods. Once was I stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day have I been in the deep, in journeyings often in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils by mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. And beside those things that are without, that he comes back to the care upon the churches. He says, that which come upon me daily, the care of all the churches. Now he goes into saying, who is weak? Y'all complaining, and I'm not weak. Who is offended, and I burn not with anger? Your nose wide open. My nose get wide open too. 
If I must needs glory, I will glory of the things that concern my infirmities, my problems, my struggles. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is blessed forevermore, knows that I lie not. In Damascus, the governor under Aretas the kings kept the city of the Damascenes with a garrison, an army group here called a garrison, desirous to apprehend me. And through a window in a basket was I let down by the wall and escaped his hands. Amen? You know, I see at least four perspectives then that we need to have about personal trials. Okay? Four perspectives that we need to have about personal trials. I want you to see, first of all, in verse 22 through 27, the oft, O-F-T, oftenness of our trials, the oftenness of our trials. See how often the word often is used, or the word O-F-T, oft, is just an older English designation for the same idea, okay? This happens over and over again, and it's used as with respect to Paul's trials. Then I want you to see in verse 28 the overwhelmingness of our trials, not just the oftenness, but the overwhelmingness. He says in verse 28, if you look there again, beside those things that are without, he said that which comes on me daily, the care of all the churches. Have you ever felt trapped by trials? How many know that we're never trapped? Huh? How many know you're never trapped? Amen? See, when we know God and we walk with him, there's always a way of escape. I got a verse for that. Here it is. 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 13. There has no temptation you. You can call the temptation a trial as well because the word is used that way. No trial, no temptation has taken you, but such as is common to man. We all go through stuff. But God is faithful. I said God is faithful. Huh? He will not suffer. He will not allow you to be tempted upon that which you are able, but will with that temptation always make a way. What's the next word? Of escape. And that we may be able to bear it. He didn't say that we might be able to get out of it. He said that we might be able to bear it. God sends trials into our lives for a reason. He wants us to go through these things for a reason, that we might grow, that we might get better. Amen? And so that's part of our Christian experience. So we need to embrace our personal trials. Our main point, number one, was having our attitude toward universal trials, but then we need to embrace our own personal ones in this text. We've seen just a couple of points. I'm not going to be long today, but the oftenness of our trials, the overwhelmingness of our trials. The, the third perspective I want you to come away with is the obtrusiveness of our trials. In verse 29 through 30, the obtrusiveness. They just get in life's way, don't they? You got all this stuff you want to do, and here come, here come Aunt Carol. Oh boy, right with her stuff and her drama and whatever have you, and her baby kids. Come on, y'all, help me preach this thing, huh? Huh? So, so, so they just get in the way, don't they? Right? Trials and tests and tribulations are always in our face. They're knocking at our door, calling our phone, bothering us at work, and troubling us in our dreams. That's what we mean by the obtrusiveness of our trials. But then we also see in verse 31 to 33, the obviousness of our trials, the obviousness of our trials. In verse 31 to 33, look there with me again. He says in, in these closing verses, um, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is blessed forevermore, knows that I lie not. Notice he's talking now about a personal illustration. And he just inserts this into the text. It's very interesting. You know how when something is really 
heavy in your memory when God has done something for you and that comes out in your daily conversations and so forth. I think that's what this story was very meaningful to him and he just felt like he would insert it here in this uh, text. And he says, so, so I'm, I'm, in Damascus, this governor kept the city and he, he's trying to apprehend me with this garrison. And, and through a window in a basket was I let down by the wall and I escaped his hands. Amen. You ever been there? God ever put you in a basket and had you escape some situation uh, that could have been real ugly and could have been real bad? Amen. You know, things just always work out. They just always work out with God. Um, that's the obvious part. That's the obviousness of our trials because we're going to go through them, but they just work out. Okay. Paul gives a glaring illustration uh, of such deliverance in these verses. And by the way, um, you know, God will always make a way. Amen. And I'll close with this. God will make a way. God will make a way when there seems to be no way. He works in ways we cannot see. He will make a way for me. He will be my guide. Hold me closely to his side with love and strength for each new day. He will make a way. He will make a way. By a roadway in the wilderness, he'll lead me. And rivers in the desert will I see. Heaven and earth will fade, but his word will still remain. But he will do something new. I, I say he will do something new today. Can we give God some praise? Amen. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for being God. Thank you for being good, Lord. And we could just pretty much just call it even with that. Lord, your being God and your being good is just enough. So, Father, as we press on through our daily tasks,